Kia I'm Damien Venuto. It's September 14th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. After relentless downpours across the North Island for most of the year, the weather in Aotearoa is about to take a rapid turn. Meteorologists are predicting that we will soon see El Nino conditions take hold, bringing warm, dry weather. But those rejoicing about the prospect of a hot summer might want to put the cork back in the champagne and reflect on what this actually means. So what's headed our way? And what all-time records are likely to be broken this summer? Could dry conditions lead to environmental complications we just aren't prepared for? Today, on the front page, Niwa meteorologist Ben Knoll helps us understand how to prepare for the rapid weather change headed our way. Ben, you've said that the weather would be taking a rapid turn in the coming weeks. What's on the way? Yeah, so after... Uh, a good year of very wet conditions for New Zealand. Things are going to be turning quite a bit drier during the second half of September into October for many regions of the country. So large parts of the North Island and Northern and Eastern South Island are probably going to be settling into a drier than normal weather regime for the weeks ahead. And what's happening is we've got El Nino in the climate system. El Nino tends to bring more westerly winds to New Zealand. And that's exactly what we're expecting for late September into October. And it's going to come with high pressure. Uh, And that high pressure system, we often say high pressure means happy weather, H for a high, H for happy. But over time, you know, too much happy weather actually can turn into not such a good thing. So that's kind of the high level lens. Things are going to be quite a bit different in terms of our weather compared to what we've experienced lately over the last six to 12 months. I understand that the impact of El Nino will be quite different across the North and South Islands. Can you explain that difference? Yeah, so in El Nino conditions, there tends to be more high pressure near and north of the North Island. And that keeps the North Island kind of sheltered from those rain-bearing weather systems. At the same time, there's low pressure often near and south of the South Island. So that can send vigorous fronts into the likes of Southland and Fiordland, Stewart Island, and along the West Coast. So those areas that we would typically expect to be seeing quite a bit of rain are really kind of that that notch being turned up in terms of the intensity of the rain uh, for the lower and western South Island. And another facet that I think people are really going to start to notice is the wind The wind is about to turn quite exceptional during the second half of September. Uh, Westerly winds that will be strong to potentially damaging at times for large parts of the South Island and even parts of the Central and Lower North Island. So just some regions, um, the West Coast, Canterbury High Country, Otago, Marlborough, top of the South Island, Nelson, uh, and and Wellington and Wairarapa, and and eastern parts of the North Island as well. All of these areas are, are about to experience a very windy period as we look ahead in the coming weeks. You've mentioned in the past that we are still likely to see a few coughs and sputters of La Nina. Are we now well and truly past that point? Yeah, so this is interesting. As La Nina waned over the course of winter, we occasionally had these downpours still affecting us. And that was um, a result of the lag in the climate system. We had three years of La Nina, and that means that it was kind of slow to relinquish its grip. Now what we're seeing is the climate driver El Nino becoming more mature. And that means it has a firmer grip on the steering wheel of Mother Nature's car. So those 
atmospheric rivers, tropical moisture plumes, these terms we've become quite familiar with, those are becoming less likely as we look ahead to the the late stages of 2023. You know, in the weather forecasting world, you can never say never. You can never rule something out entirely. So we often work in probabilities. And that can be difficult to grasp for the average person. But the probability or the likelihood of those atmospheric rivers is looking lower. The tropical tap that moisture tap to the north, we can see that kind of starting to get turned off here as we look ahead in the coming months. And that means that that La Nina pattern we were once in is kind of well and truly put to sleep. Ben, we've used these phrases El Nino and La Nina quite a few times in this interview. Would you be able to just give us a quick explanation of the differences between those two? Yeah, sure. So El Nino and La Nina, they comprise a natural oscillation called the El Nino Southern Oscillation. And every couple of years, the equatorial Pacific Ocean changes from being unusually cool, which is La Nina, to unusually warm, which is El Nino. And those changes in ocean temperatures uh, arise from changes in the wind pattern near the equator. So the trade winds, uh, which blow from east to west along the equator, they reverse during El Nino and sometimes blow from west to east. And that reversal helps to push the warm water, the warmest water on the planet, which sits in the Western Pacific. Those winds help to blow that warm water farther to the east during El Nino episodes. And that's what we've seen through the first kind of middle part of 2023. So as we look to the back half of the year, the very warm ocean water that was once in the Pacific is now farther east. And that changes the entire atmospheric circulation around the planet. So not just at the equator, but here in the South Pacific, in the Northern Hemisphere, Europe and North America, South America. So that oscillation has influences right around the globe. And we know that our influences here are maximized during the Southern Hemisphere spring and summer season. So we're heading right into that maximum effect of El Nino in the coming months. When you look overseas, countries that have experienced wet summers in the past and now experienced droughts, we've seen that in Australia, our closest neighbour, they're either drowning in winter or burning in summer. So wildfires as a subset of the serious weather events that we're getting out of the climate crisis are a real concern for us. So I think that's something that we're going to have to become more prepared for as uh, the years move on. Given that we are shifting to El Nino and we are predicted to have drier weather across the North Island, what are some of the risks associated with this? Could Aotearoa see wildfires like we've seen across the Northern Hemisphere? Yeah, so thinking about the possible impacts here of this El Nino, what's interesting about the one we've got building is that it is among the strongest that we've seen in the last 80 years, 80 plus years, in with the likes of 2015 16, 1997 98, 1982 83, 1972 73. And several of those years I just mentioned, New Zealand had very bad, historically bad droughts, very costly droughts in some of those years. So, from an agricultural perspective, even though it's been very wet and your paddocks may still be damp, the combination of that drier weather and the winds could see soil moisture levels drying out pretty rapidly rapidly in those key agricultural regions. So thinking Canterbury, Northern Otago, parts of Marlborough, Wellington, Wairarapa, and up along the east coast of the North Island, Northland and Auckland too, potentially. So really angling yourself for that drier weather, planning in preparation that you do now, and getting ready 
is probably the best that we can do. And we are armed with an amazing set of tools in the year 2023 that those that experienced the 1982-83 El Nino event didn't have. In fact, that was the El Nino event that really spurred on kind of a global push toward predicting these El Nino and La Nina events more accurately. So we've come a really long way in the last four decades, and now we're kind of seeing the fruits of that labor. We're you know, standing on the backs of giants who really armed us with that foundational knowledge for what these events mean. And now we should use that knowledge and information to our advantage to prepare for the incoming El Nino. You know, Ben, when I walk into my back garden these days, I can't help but notice that it is still quite sludgy down there. Given that the weather has been so wet, do you think that there's a risk that Kiwis might be a little bit complacent about how dry it's going to get in the coming months? Look, I mean, I do think there can be an element of that idea that it's been really wet and I don't have to worry about this right now. And, you know, I'll take it as it comes. You know, it'll be all right. But I do think that the little things we do now, even starting to think about conserving water, if you're on tank water, for example, in the North Island, the Northern and Eastern North Island or the Eastern South Island, that can pay dividends down the line. You know, if you're, you know, a farmer thinking about having those plans for the summer season, if we do get another, you know, drought that's like 2019-20, for example, which does have some climatic similarities with the present. In fact, there's a pattern in the Indian Ocean called the Indian Ocean Dipole. Uh, it's in its positive phase. And that's actually what we had during spring 2019. And that led into that really significant drought over the summer of 2020. So using the past to kind of help guide us in the future, I think right now things are still quite damp, but things are going to probably turn in a hurry. And all of that fuel that has been built up over the last couple of years, such as debris still from the cyclone or very good growth across the country actually could be fuel for wildfire activity fanned by those winds we were discussing earlier. So just really starting to be aware that elevated level of awareness about what's likely to happen can only help us as we look into the future. I think my colleague Chris and I have had a tagline here, luck favors the prepared. If you're enjoying this episode of The Front Page brought to you by the New Zealand Herald, make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Spring is always a very unpredictable season here in New Zealand. Is there going to be a big difference between spring and summer this year? Yeah, so that's that's an interesting question. There's kind of a two-pronged answer I'd like to give. And spring can be unpredictable, but what helps predictability on a seasonal climate scale is having strong climate drivers like this El Nino. So in the Pacific, actually the most accurate projections of seasonal forecasts come during strong El Nino events. So we've actually got maybe a little boost in predictability this year. So when we talk about, you know, dryness, windiness, coming on, there's a little bit more um, certainty, you know, in, in that in that prediction than would normally be the case. In terms of what it all means for summer, I think that's kind of the question that's on a lot of folks' minds. And we haven't issued our official summer outlook yet. But what happens is El Nino patterns can kind of get stuck in. So what happens during spring, such as some of the things we've been talking about, could, could very well settle in for the summer season and favor dryness in those areas that also experience dryness during spring. El Nino-like patterns well could be with us into autumn of next year. So it could be a multi-season affair. And I think the impacts to that, I mean, you know, on one side of the coin, maybe it'll generate some of those kind of classic Kiwi summer weather conditions that have been largely absent the last couple of summers. 
So from a holiday maker tourist perspective, perhaps that's promising. On the other end of that coin, we know that agriculture is such a key part of the economy here. And given the cyclone activity, the atmospheric river activity and the floods of the last year or two, this is just another kind of compounding effect or extreme. Uh, and that can be really difficult to manage, not just, you know, thinking about the on-farm activities, but also I think from a mental health perspective, dealing with these challenges when it comes to the climate can be quite tough. So acknowledging that as well. I did like that little phrase that you had about luck favoring the prepared. But given that New Zealanders were caught off guard by the massive downpours that we had earlier this year, what should we do to be prepared for the impact of El Nino? Are there any tips or tricks that you maybe have for us? Yeah, look, I mean, I'll put the NIWA hat on. Um, We issue a a climate outlook once a month. It's published on our website, the seasonal climate outlook, right around the, the start of every month, and it goes three months into the future. I think for people who rely on long-range predictions and find that information useful or interesting, keeping a really close eye on the forecast, whether that's weather, whether that's sub-seasonal, say the next couple of weeks or out to the next couple of seasons, keeping an eye on those trends and changes is, is important and perhaps more important in an episode of a strong El Nino event. So doing that will maybe pay dividends down the line. And also, as we mentioned earlier, having a general sense of awareness around the climate patterns we're likely to experience in the next half year or so, the windiness, so things like checking if it's all right to light a fire before you actually do it, checking the forecast. You know, we've been working closely with our partners at FENS, kind of getting the messaging out around that type of activity in the summer and the risk associated with it, with the wildfire activity. And again, from a a water conservation perspective, maybe getting the messaging out sooner than later will help us. We know that Auckland, for example, went through a a water situation, a shortage situation a few years ago um, during that drought. And again, while it's been wet, the little things that we can do now actually can help us out down the line. As wildfires rage in many parts of Europe and the Mediterranean, scientists say this July is on course to being the hottest ever recorded a global average of 17 degrees Celsius globally. This summer, dozens of people have been killed and thousands made homeless across the Northern Hemisphere. While the fires are likely to die down as the summer runs its course, the danger remains that what we consider catastrophic today may become part of everyday life tomorrow. We definitely do seem to be entering the age of record-breaking weather, so July was the hottest month on record ever. Could New Zealand break further records in the coming months? I'm actually looking ahead to the end of September, Damien, and I'm seeing a chance for potentially record-breaking temperatures in the coming month. Uh, the next couple of weeks make that for New Zealand. As we look to the back half, uh, make that the back 10 days of the month, We're going to have air masses coming across the Tasman, so a trans-Tasman connection from the deserts of Western Australia. And when that air mass reaches New Zealand and the air parcels descend the Southern Alps into the Canterbury region or Otago, Marlborough, Hawke's Bay, Gisborne, Wairarapa, they warm up and dry out. So we could be looking at 25 degrees Celsius temperatures, maybe even higher during the last week to 10 days of September. And if we look back, New Zealand's kind of national temperature record for the month of September, it's above 28 Celsius. But if we reach about 28 Celsius in the final week to 10 days of the month, that'll put us up there with the very warmest September days that New Zealand has uh, experienced during the month of September. And these types of patterns may well be on repeat 
heat as we go into the rest of spring and then potentially into summer, where on occasion we get these really warm to hot air masses from Australia. The last couple of summers, there's been a lack of 35 plus degree temperatures. I think that streak is going to come to an end this summer where we could be reaching 36, 37, 38, maybe even 39 degrees um, again later in 2023, early 2024, when these hot and dry air masses transit the Tasman Sea from Australia. I should also add that El Nino can come with fast changes. So maybe there'll be two or three days of really hot conditions, and then that'll be followed up by a dramatic southerly change that lasts a day or two. So being prepared for those really potentially variable or changeable conditions, not just during spring, but maybe in the summer as well. Ben, looking forward at the potential of those records being broken, what are some of the concerns that you have as a meteorologist? Oh, look, um, we just finished up a streak of 73 consecutive months of near average or above average temperatures in New Zealand. So we went over six years without having a month with below average temperatures. And that is statistically very, very unusual. And look, our climate is changing, it's warming up, and we're not seeing those cold temperature extremes that we once did. So, you know, uh, a summer that someone is experiencing now, maybe the, in some areas, the coolest summer that they, you know, likely experience for the kind of the rest of their life type of thing. So the summers of, of, of today actually are maybe, maybe cool when we look back, you know, and it's the year 2050, and we're looking back to the year, you know, 2020 or the early 2020s. So it's to say that those extreme temperatures on the high side are becoming more likely. Um, and that does come with heat related stress, not just for humans, but for animals as well. So thinking about our livestock here and the effects that that may have on changing temperatures. So these are multiple facets here that, you know, a warming climate, not just with those rising temperatures, but also the fact that a, a warmer atmosphere can hold more water vapor. So we saw the effects of that earlier this year with the cyclone activity. So we kind of get it on both ends of the extreme. And that's how people will feel climate change through the extremes, whether that's heavy, intense rainfall that causes flooding or warmer temperatures that lead to a drought starting quicker. Thanks for joining us, Ben. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson and edited by Paddy Fox with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.